Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Good, good. Um, our prayer for this month, we're, we're in a sermon series in Matthew, and every month we're taking a different prayer from Matthew. So our prayer for this month is, Lord, send workers into your harvest, right? Lord, send workers into your harvest. And um, our passage today is about Jesus working in God's harvest, telling people the good news, um, that God loves them, and that they can have hope and joy and eternal life. Um, but the disciples were struggling to get on that plan. Like, so they're, they're struggling to imitate Jesus and do what he did and, and kind of follow Jesus' lead. So our main text is Matthew chapter 15. I have to tell you, this is the only passage in the Bible that makes me not like Jesus. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Um, and honestly, I, I didn't even want to preach it, but um, I was just going to skip it. But this week, God was like, no, we're going to tackle this one. It's like, okay. So um, Matthew chapter 15. But to understand it, we need a little more context. So we're actually going to start in 14. And get a little more background information before we dive into 15. Um, so if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, this last week, while you're turning there, I'll just tell you. This last week I saw the movie Jesus Revolution. Has anyone else seen that movie? A few of you? Yeah, it's good. I highly recommend it. I will tell you, most of my life I would not recommend Christian movies. <laughs> they were just cheesy and poorly done and... This is really, it's excellent. And it tells the true story about the 1970s when a revival just spread through the young hippies in that generation. And one of the things that they would do when they would meet is they would grab their Bibles, and they hold them up and say, this is God's word, the word of life. Let's read it together. And I just love that. I just love that because I, I feel like um, that's kind of, I've never said that, but that's my, been my intent. Every Sunday I come up here and I'm like, all right, let's open our Bibles. Because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Every week I start praying about the message and I'm like, God, I got nothing good to say without your word. Amen. All week long we are hit with all kinds of messages that are lies or deceptive or they're propaganda or they're telling you're not enough or you don't have enough or whatever. But this, this is truth and this is light and this is hope. So let's open it together, all right? Matthew chapter 14. It starts, we covered this a few weeks back, it starts with um, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, being beheaded. By Herod the Tetrarch. And Jesus is, of course, grieving. His disciples are grieving because many of them had followed John first. And so Jesus takes them out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee where they can kind of be alone and do some grieving. And then when they come to shore, what's waiting for them? Crowd. Huge crowd. Huge crowd. And um, Jesus, of course, he teaches them, he heals them, 
Um, but it is exhausting ministering to these huge crowds of thousands of people. And so the disciples are like, send them away. And Jesus says, oh, no, they need food. Feed them. <laughs> and the disciples are like, we only have, you know, five loaves and two fish. And what does Jesus do? He blesses them. And then he breaks them and he gives them to the disciples. And they pass them out to this crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. And they have baskets left over. It's this great miracle. And you can just see these disciples who have been grieving and they're sad and they're exhausted and everything. How it would just lift their spirits. And kind of renew their faith. And But they're still tired. You know, that doesn't change. So Jesus says, okay, go back in the lake. I'll take care of the crowd. He dismisses the crowd. He prays. And then he decides at night he's going to walk out on the lake to them. You know, and the disciples, they freak out. They think they're seeing a ghost or something, which I guess is the most logical conclusion to come to, really. You know, if it's night and you see something walking to you on the water, it's probably more logical to think it's a ghost than a human. (laughs) But Jesus tells them to not fear, have courage. And Peter gets bold and he walks out on the water sinks but he does he walks on water for a little bit and jesus pulls him back into the boat he rescues him and then they come to shore and that's where we're going to pick up matthew 14 verse 34 it says when they had crossed over they landed at gennesaret i'm probably not pronouncing that right and when the men of that place recognized jesus they sent word to all of the surrounding country people brought all their sick to him And begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Isn't that amazing? And then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him a really important question. You know, they are not swayed by charismatic preaching. They are not swayed by miracles or, or even the plight of the sick. They are religious leaders and they are concerned with what is most important. Verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't even wash their hands before they eat. This is, this is a modern day example of, um, you know, we say we, we want to reach people for Jesus, but when they start to come, if, if they've, the people who have had really hard lives, you know, and they come and they make the carpet dirty, or they're stinky, or they sit in your pew or row that your family has always sat in, you know? That, I mean, that, that's basically what's kind of happening here. Sometimes those of us who have held the faith the longest, we forget the priorities of what's really right. And Jesus, he just throws it right back at them. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what they might have given or what might have been used to help their father or mother is now devoted to God, then they don't have to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me 
in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So Jesus called the crowd to him. He said, listen, listen and understand what's happening here. What goes into someone's mouth, it doesn't defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and said, "Ah, Jesus, do you know the Pharisees were offended when you said this? Remember, like the disciples, they probably grew up listening to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones who probably taught them about God. And Jesus replies, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. He's saying that these religious leaders were not planted by God. And they're being weeded out. Leave them behind. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. And Peter said, explain this parable to us. And she's like, man, gosh, are you so dull? Okay, don't you see? This is a little crass, but what comes into someone's mouth goes to the stomach and out their body. That's Jesus. And he said, but what comes out of their mouth is from their heart. What comes out of the mouth? the mouth is there evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false testimony slander these are the things that defile a person not what they put in their mouth with unwashed hands isn't it amazing for those of us who have been in the faith for so long we can get so steeped in these rules and these traditions that we can't even understand the most simple things about God The disciples were having a hard time leaving this behind. Well, Jesus, I I don't know if he was just tired of the Pharisees or he was tired of the Pharisees and the crowds or both, um, but he decides to leave and go where they can't follow or they won't follow. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, And he goes there to, to be alone. Mark tells the same story. He gives us a few other details. Can we have Mark chapter 7? Okay, this is what Mark says. He says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. He's with his disciples. He needs a long time. Jesus had boundaries, guys. Jesus had boundaries. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. I have a map I want to show you about this, and I promise this will become relevant later on. But Matthew says, um, well, hold on. Okay, so... This whole area right here is Cana, Canaan, but many empires have come through, and so it's divided up. Jesus is from Galilee. There's Nazareth where he was born. Cana's where my hand is not that steady. That's where he did his first miracle. Capernaum, right up here. That's where he sets up his home base for his ministry, and that was strategic. He met some fishermen, and they could take him in his boat, and he could minister all over around this region pretty easily. 
To get away, he goes up here to Tyre and Sidon. This has never been part of Israel's territory. This is like where Queen Jezebel was from originally. Okay. This woman, Matthew says she's a Canaanite. Mark says she's a Greek, which means her family's probably from over here. This is where the Greeks settled in the land of Canaan. She probably has like one parent who's Canaanite and one who's Greek or something like that. But um, this area, the Greeks settled ten cities. It's called Decapolis because that's Greek for ten cities. Really, really simple. So her family is probably from here, but she was they moved at some point, and she was actually born and is up here. All right, that will be relevant, I promise you. Okay. So let's go back to Matthew, picking up where we left off. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now this is fascinating because she calls him the son of David and she calls him Lord. This is a Canaanite Greek woman um, who has never probably lived in the territory of Israel. And the Jews, they called their promised Messiah the son of David because their prophets had prophesied that God would send a savior who would be a descendant of their King David. And so they would refer to their coming savior as a son of David. And here's this woman who lives way up in Syria. And she's from a Canaanite Greek background where they worship all these different gods. And she's coming to him and calling him Lord and the son of David, which is something a lot of Jews weren't even calling him. And so the question is, is this woman a true believer or is she a religious opportunist? She's a desperate mom. Her child is sick. You kind of get the picture she might be a single mom. There's no father anywhere to be found in these stories. And is she like going to one Greek temple and sacrificing and then another Greek temple and then this Canaanite God and this, you know, like whoever can help, you know, it's like, well, it doesn't hurt to try. Oh, there's this guy and they call him, he's supposed to be the Israelite Messiah. Okay, let's go see him. It doesn't hurt to try. Is she a true believer or a religious opportunist? And people today are still that way. We live in the United States. Most of us try Christianity first. Not all of us, but most of us do. And if it doesn't produce the results that we're hoping for, a lot of us will try other things. Other philosophies, other religions. This is the heart of idolatry. Do you really want the true God or do you want a genie? Who will just grant whatever wish you want and if it doesn't get granted, then you'll try the next thing. Jesus is going to test her to see if she's a true believer. And he also tests his disciples. Verse 23. 
Jesus did not answer a word. From the other Gospels, we know he just ignored her for a while. Have you ever had a time when God was silent in your life? You know, this God goes silent. Ancient church fathers and mothers would call it dark nights of the soul. Where you're crying out to God and you just hear nothing back. God does this to test our faith. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What does this mean? This harkens back to Genesis where God um, creates the world. It's perfectly good. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And there's probably something over here. and There. There we go. Okay. And he gives it to us. I'll, I'll just... Yeah. He gives it to us um, as a gift and to rule over, and we break it. We just, we just utterly break it. It's just one big mess. We do have a team that evaluates our worship services, and they talked about getting me a bigger whiteboard. I promise you, if you get me a bigger whiteboard, my drawings don't get better. Um, but the world's just a huge mess. Now, what do you do when you have a huge mess? How do you clean it up? Yeah, you, you just have to pick a, one small point to start with, right? And that's what God does. He picks Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to teach you how to be in a right relationship with me and others. And your descendants... How to be in a right relationship with me and others. And they are to be a light to the rest of the world. That helps clean up and teach others how to live rightly with one another and with me. And that was what the descendants of Abraham were chosen to do. To be a light and to start cleaning it up. But they confused being chosen with being favored. And they began to believe over time that they were favored by God and God only loved them and they needed to just separate themselves from the mess. From all the mess of all the people who were so destructive. And they isolated themselves. Well, Jesus has come back to renew this plant. And it's very clear from the whole Bible that God loves everyone and he sent his son for everyone. But the plants, Jesus is restarting the plant. He is coming to the lost people of Israel that are lost. He totally forgot why they were chosen. The Pharisees just demonstrated that. And he's helping renew their relationship with God. So once again, then they can be a light to everybody else. So that's what he means by, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Not that God only cares about them, but that's a starting point for the plan. The woman came, this verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread 
and toss it to their dogs. And that's the verse that makes me not like Jews. It sounds wrong. It sounds sexist. It sounds racist. Right? It sounds like exactly what the Jews were doing wrong, where they thought they were favored and chosen and better than everybody else, and God would only love them. When I first read this verse, I just cringed. I just cringed. But I, I remember praying, like, God, I don't get this. This is not fit with anything else your word says about Jesus' character. But I trust you'll help me understand it one day. And he has. Amen. In the original language, the Greek word that Jesus uses here for dogs, it refers to little dogs. <laughs> um, so what he's really saying is he's like, when you feed your kids... You feed them first. You don't first give their food to their little pet doggies. That's what he's saying. The connotation is not quite as bad as it reads in the English. But the woman still has a choice here. Right? I mean, she has two different lenses she can view this statement through. She can view it through the typical lens that Jewish men are sexist and racist, which was true. And he's just making this derogatory statement, and that's it, I'm done, and leave. Or she can view it through a lens of faith. Amen. That she knows that she knows that she knows God is good and that God's Savior must be good. Alright. And that faith also reminds ourselves that compared to God, we're not dogs, we're dust. We're all just dust. And if she chooses the lens of faith, she will see it not as this derogatory put down, but she'll see the endearing statement about being a beloved pet of children. Because you know how children love their pets. Yeah. She has a choice. And she chooses faith. Amen. She actually corrects Jesus. Verse 27. She goes, yes it is, Lord. Even the little pets eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, Oh, woman, oh, woman, you have great faith. Amen. Your request is granted. And at that moment, her daughter was healed. That is great faith. Great faith is believing God is good even when he seems like he's not. Even when the circumstances or the verse you read in the Bible seems like he's not. Great faith knows that he still is. I just want to show you Hebrews 11. I know I've shown this verse before. But it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him, think of this woman who was coming to Jesus, must first of all believe that he exists. She had to believe Jesus was who he said he was. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's a belief that God is good. That he does care. And if you are earnestly seeking him, he will reward you. For me, there's been many faith tests. But some of them have been right here in God's word. There's about 10 verses, most of them in the Old Testament, that when I read, like my stomach would just go. Like seriously, that's in here. And in those moments, I would just like, I'd always have like, well, is this it? Is this the day I decide just to throw this away? Because obviously this one verse is messed up. And then I had to remember the 31,000 other verses that consistently point to that our God loves us and that he's good. Amen. And there's been different times in my life when I've had to say, okay, God, I don't get this. But I know you're good, and I know you'll reveal this and help me understand this one day. And he has. Some of those verses have taken a couple decades for me to understand. But he's been faithful. That's right. Faith is also persisting and asking God because you believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There was one time where I just sat down, and I'm like, God, I'm not leaving until you make me understand this. And he did. But it's persisting. That's what the woman in the story did. And she got her healing. I want to show you another parable that Jesus tells. This is from the book of Luke. In my imagination, he tells us after meeting the Canaanite Greek woman. I can't back that up, but it just sounds like something he would say after meeting her. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. To show them they should always pray and not give up. In other translations it will say, and not lose heart. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Remember this Canaanite woman, she she was grappling with a demon, right? Yeah. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets her justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord Jesus said, he goes, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him when? Day and night. One time? No. Day and night. Who keep crying out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? There's an implication that he might put them off initially to test their face, right? But will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However... When the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of faith on earth? Will he find it? 
Some of you have given up on your healing way too quickly. I don't know what it is you need to be healed of, whether it be physical or relational or emotional or if there's some spiritual junk you need to be healed of, but some of you give up on your healing way too quickly. God wants us to wrestle with him, to know he's real. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God and he refuses to let go of him until God blesses him. God wants you to wrestle with him and see that he's real and not just this prayer vending machine. Because sometimes we treat him like that, right? This is the prayer vending machine. It's like, okay, let me deposit my prayer in. What do I want? This is one. Like, oh, yay, here it is. You know, and then we come back, prayer. Like, oh, shoot, that one didn't work. Kick it. You know, like, try it one more time. One more prayer. No, okay, I guess God's not going to answer that one. And then we try to go to the next vending machine that might offer some other solution. I'm not, I'm not saying don't seek medical help. By all means, do. But do not give up on your miraculous healing. Persist in prayer. Some of you give up because you don't get the answer right away. And it, it hurts to hope. Some of you give up because you, you just get used to the pain. And think, well, God's done enough for me. You know, I'm good enough. And we just give up. Know that your healing is not just for you. It's never just for you. It's also for other people. This woman, because she's persistent and she does not give up, even when the word of the Lord sure makes it seem like God doesn't care, she knew better. And she secures healing for her daughter, but not just her daughter. Not just her daughter. Let's look and see what happens next. Verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what mountainside, but Mark does. Where is Mark? Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. Who lived in the Decapolis? Canaanite Greeks. I thought Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Why is he, he suddenly going to a place where the Canaanite Greeks live? Verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and, they, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Matthew says that. He doesn't say they praise God. That's what he would write if they were all Jews. He specifically says they praise the God of Israel because these were Canaanite Greeks. No. That 
When you persist in prayer, you affect where the next outpouring of God's spirit and power will be. God, he has this like master plan of how he's going to save us and redeem the world. But there's all kinds of little strategies in that plan that he is willing to alter based on your prayers. And this woman proved to Jesus that the harvest was plentiful among the Canaanite Greeks. And her persistence in crying out to Jesus led to thousands of her people being healed. People in Asbury, some of you know about the outpouring of God's spirit that happened last month. What you may not know is some of them have been praying for years. For almost a decade for that to happen. How you persist in prayer absolutely determines where the next outpouring of God's spirit and power will be. So let's keep reading. Matthew 15, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples said, well, where can we get enough bread in such a remote place to feed such a crowd? Seriously! What just happened in the previous chapter? Short-term memory loss, huh? Jesus just fed 5,000. Why, why did they forget? They were still struggling to leave behind the teaching of the Pharisees. That the Israelites were favored by God and that God did not care about all those dirty people out there who lacked faith. They were still struggling to see it. Jesus, I can't imagine what his face looked like when he said this, but verse 34. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 4,000 men besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got in the boat and went to the vicinity of Mag... I don't even... It's where Mary Magdalene is from. How's that? Yeah. Understand, God, he makes us repeat the same sacrifice and the same hardships until we learn the lesson. Right? Like it was exhausting. It was definitely a sacrifice for the disciples to minister to these ginormous crowds. And we see how the disciples are like, send the, you know, them away. And then with this Canaanite Greek woman, send her away. And now with her people, send them away. Jesus will make you repeat the same hardship and sacrifice until you learn the lesson. 
He cares for all people. And he cares whether their need is big or small. It's just a matter of if you persist. If you're willing to wrestle with him. And find out how real he is. Um, This past week, we had an amazing week. Um, On Thursday at Caring Connections, we had Janice Regal. Am Am I saying her name right? Pronunciation is not my strong suit, guys. (laughs) But she was here, and it was great. And she was praying over people. And um, I had been sick for 10 days, like really sick. I probably shouldn't have been there. But um, she prayed for people who were sick, and I got well, just like that. And I, I couldn't believe it. And the next morning I woke up and, you know, every morning for 10 days I'd been waking up with a sore throat, my head feeling like it weighed 20 pounds, and it was just all gone. All gone. No coughing up stuff, nothing. It was just gone. And then we had the breakthrough service on Friday and Saturday. If you went to that, I'm sure that was a cross-cultural experience for you. Um, It's not my preferred way of worship, but I do go to those kinds of services because, for one thing, I think, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be worshiping with people with all different kinds of worship styles. So we might as well get used to some of it right now. Um, But he prayed over some people. Actually, not just him. A whole bunch of people were praying over different people. And on Saturday, some came back and gave testimonies of how they were healed. And even this morning, there was someone who woke up sick, feeling like they were going to vomit, and we prayed, and in faith they got ready for church, and and we're fine. Amen. God does heal. He cares about the big things. He cares about the little things. But do you persist in prayer? Will you wrestle with him? I want the worship team to come. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, Pastor Eric and I will be back by the cross. And God's word says if anyone's sick, it doesn't qualify what kind of sickness, whether that be physical or spiritual sickness or emotional sickness. But if anyone is sick, they should call the elders of church and have them anointed with oil and pray over them. And the prayers of the righteous people will make them well. So if you want to be anointed with oil for hearing Pastor Eric and I, you just meet us back there by the cross. If you have any sin you need to confess, sin um, can make us sick in more ways than one. Not all sickness is direct related to sin. But sin, it does make us sick relationally, emotionally, and even physically sometimes. And his word says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all righteousness. If you have sin, you need to confess. And maybe even at some of that hardness of heart that the Pharisees had and that the disciples were struggling with. You can come back there. We have little papers. You can write it down. And there's a candle there of hyssop. Which is used in the Bible for purification of sins, and you can burn it right back there on the altar. But persist. 
If the prayer vending machine does not work the first time or the second time, realize it's not a vending machine. It is a real God who wants you to know him personally. And wrestle with him. And he will give you your blessing. Let me pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that just blows up our conceptions of how we think things should work. I thank you that you don't settle for just being a genie who always gives us exactly what we ask for when we ask for it. You're like a, you're a true parent to us, God. You're a true parent who teaches us and then let's go to see if we'll carry what you've taught us, even when you're not right beside us. I think of your word in James that says you test our faith. But we should have joy in the testing of our faith because it produces perseverance and perseverance produces maturity so that we can be complete, not lacking anything. God, help us hang in there until spiritual maturity when we will not lack anything. We'll we'll be able to have joy and peace no matter what's happening. We will know the full goodness of you. We thank you that you don't give up on us. And you haven't given up on this messed up world either. Give us courage and hope to wrestle with you. And give us a heart for all of those who are out there who need to know about you, God. And I pray that you will work miracles in us, not just for us, but for your glory, that many people will come to know you and realize just how real you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.